The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to Hacks and Jacks, the fantasy baseball podcast. It's baseball season. This live baseball to watch. I'm Joe Galina. Acknowledge me. And this is Scott Chu. Hey, Joe. <laughs> I mean, real, real baseball. We're watching it right now. In fact, it, we will now have live baseball virtually every day until sometime in October. Yep. Yep. Right. I mean, like you, we, you put it, on the MLB the Network. Now. There are games on like all day long. Some of them are pre-recorded or whatnot, but just baseball is now live and we could just watch it basically 24 seven. Yeah. We can overreact to things for real now, like not <laughs> hypothetical overreactions, but now we can do it for real. That's right. it's, it's very genuine now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. We got lots to talk about. Uh, n- not really get dive too much into news, but uh, just want to mention that first of all, we're recording this on Sunday, February 26th. It's about 12.30 Eastern Standard Time. Just got some news about Manny Machado uh, signing a contract extension, 11-year, $350 million extension on his contract with the Padres. And he had mentioned, uh, he made no bones about it, he was going to opt out of his contract at the end of this year, uh, similar to what DeGrom had said. DeGrom uh, last season told us, before the start of uh, uh, the regular season that he was definitely opting out and Machado said he was doing that. And, you know, the Mets uh, basically did nothing. <laughs> and The Padres just went all in. They said, Hey, we want you to be on this team. Uh, and they worked out an 11 year, $350 million contract. We were talking real quick before the start of the podcast Padres, man, uh, they just seem to be all in on everyone, right? They, they, made a realistic offer to Aaron judge this preseason. Uh, they made the big trade for Juan Soto and it's be, it'll be interesting to see what's going to happen if they're going to uh, offer him some kind of an extension or, you know, sign him to a long-term deal. But uh, I, I like what you had said right before the podcast there, Scott, about the Padres. Yeah. It's almost like num- two things. Number one, it's almost like small market teams still make billions of dollars. Sure. Right. Like they still make a ton of money. And number two, it's really nice. And it's almost like the people in San Diego want to have good baseball. 
It's almost mm. like they enjoy baseball. Like mm. they want good players to play on their team, which I mean, even teams nearby like Oakland don't seem to be this way. Right. Right. Like they don't seem to have any interest in having good players. They don't seem to have any interest in winning games. The Padres do. They're making big moves. Look, I don't know if it's going to work out, but uh, I think if I was a San Diego Padre fan, what else could I possibly want than last season? We get to trade for Juan Soto this season. We find out Manny Machado, uh, you know, the rock of this lineup is staying. Right. Mm-hmm, this is a guy mm-hmm. who plays every day. Sure. People have complained about his work ethic and I'm sure someone out there is like, well, now he's never going to try Manny Machado, you know, might dog it once in a while, you know, on a fly ball, but the guy wants to win baseball games, right? Mm-hmm. There's no doubt to me about that. He wants to go to the world series. He wants to do all those things. And if he thinks he can, he's going to play hard. It also helps because this team, this is not a deep team. The Padres, right? Their window is basically now they have, they're this weird mix of much older and much younger players. And it's going to be really hard for them to fill the gap when some of these older players leave. We already saw that at the end of last season with guys, you know, they had to bring in guys like Carpenter and Nelson Cruz. I mean, they kicked a lot of tires, right? Mm-hmm, Adam mm-hmm. Engel, you know, there's only so, there's only so long you can make that work. This team is good enough now to compete with anybody, especially when Fernando Tatis Jr. comes back. So I'm really excited to see them go all in and say, we're going to do what it takes to have a window for the next two years. Yeah, very tough division, obviously. Uh, They've got the Dodgers that they compete with every year. Um, And to me, I think the Dodgers have taken a little bit of a step back, but we could talk about that at another time. But when you look at this lineup, you know, top to bottom, you know, I, I get what you're saying in terms of, you know, the depth that, you know, some of their players are a little older. But, you know, like you said, once Tatis comes back uh, from his suspension, I mean, this lineup, you know, you got Bogart, Soto, Machado, who, uh, you know, I get it. Some people think that maybe he dogs it sometimes. But I, what I see is a, a guy who's really matured just, you know, from a. Uh, personality standpoint, you know, kind of become like a, a, almost like a leader on this team, you know, when you hear him being interviewed and just the past few seasons, what he's done, uh, you know, uh, you know, 2019, 32 homers and uh, 2021, 28 homers, 106 RBI with 12 stolen bases, 32 home runs, 102 RBI last season with nine stolen bases, really good batting average. I mean, I just think that the Padres really made a good move. And, you know, you described it well in terms of all the players that they've added recently. And they added Josh Hader as well, right? So, uh, you know, one of, regarded as one of the top closers in baseball. I know he had some issues last season, but I think he's going to bounce back big. And I think that this team is really going to compete uh, with the Dodgers and may even, you know, overtake them for the division title. Yeah, and just to squeeze in a piece of fantasy analysis about Machado, uh, really two things. Number one, both in Dynasty and Redraft, this guy is not yet 30 years old. Right. Uh, oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. He is He is 30 and a half. He's 30 years, okay. seven months old. But yeah. he's been in the major since he was 19 years old, right? Mm-hmm, His first mm-hmm. full season was 2013. Do you know how many seasons he's played less than 90% of his games? 20. 20- 14 was the last time Manny Machado did not play 90% or more of the games for the Baltimore or for Baltimore or for San Diego. 
Mm-hmm. He plays, I mean, this is as close to Cal Ripken as you're going to see these days, right, right? right? This guy plays 155 games like every year. The last two years was slightly less. It was 153 and 150, mm-hmm. right? This guy plays every single day. This is why he's an elite option at third base. He's going to continue to be an elite option at third base for, at le- I mean, at least the next three or four years, as far out as you can foreseeably predict in fantasy. So, um, you know, if you're out there in dynasty leagues and, and someone thinks this guy's old or it's not there. I mean, if you, if you smell even a hint of, of doubt about Manny Machado, you got to pounce on it right now. Uh, definitely agreed. And uh, you know, like you said, just, even when you look at his career numbers, you know, first ballot hall of famer, uh, you know, no doubt, as long as he keeps on, on doing what he's doing already has, 1,597 hits. You know, there, there aren't going to be that many players, I think, that are going to eclipse that 3,000 hit mark, that, you know, that magical hit mark that guarantees your entry into the Hall of Fame. But uh, like I said, 1,597 hits, lifetime, 283 lifetime home runs, 282 batting average, and uh, that's all you need to know. So uh, kudos to the Padres for trying to put a great product on the field and and succeeding. So going to be very interesting in that division but uh i like i really don't like to get into news too much this early in the preseason scott but i just want to briefly mention Seiya suzuki the outfielder for the cubs uh dealing with some kind of an oblique issue uh, oblique tightness is what they're calling it and they're going to be doing tests on it to see how severe it is but Makes me a little nervous because uh, I do uh, roster him in one of my auto new leagues. He had a, a good first season uh, where he hit 14 home runs, stole nine bases, uh, 336 OBP in 111 games. Missed some time because uh, of a finger sprain. Missed six weeks. So that kind of makes me nervous that maybe, you know, takes him a little while to heal. <laughs> but oblique injuries are really tough to gauge. So I want to see the severity of it, but, uh, supposedly, you know, he looked really good coming into camp, looked like he added some muscle. Maybe we we're going to see some more power out of him. Uh, but just wanted to really briefly mention that about Suzuki Scott. Yeah. And in my outfield breakdown, that's up on the site, uh, pitcherlist.com for you folks who might not know, uh, you <laughs> check, if you check out the top hundred outfielders, he was definitely someone who we saw his skills improve throughout the season. Right, our PLV metrics, which are amazing pitch level data. We saw him improve his contact ability throughout the season. We saw him really get a better sense of the zone and how American pitchers were trying to attack him. Because look, there's it's tough being in the States for your first season, especially when you didn't come up through the minors. Right? You've never worked with an American team. You know, no one really on your team speech speaks your language. Those things are real. It took a I know he exploded out of the gate last season. Took him a little bit of time to, I think, really settle in after that. But I do think there's still a breakout here. But oblique injuries. I mean, a guy who's run into this a lot is George Springer. And I'm not saying that Suzuki's going to be like George Springer. But these things can linger. Mm -hmm. And when we talk in the preseason about if this guy gets an opportunity, right? Well, if X guy gets an opportunity, if Christopher Morrell gets an opportunity for these Cubs, the way those opportunities happen is stuff like this. Not because I necessarily think Suzuki will miss time in the regular season. We have no idea if that's going to happen. Teams have the kid gloves on, you know, times three this early in the spring. They're not going to let anyone get any injury worse. I mean, you know, even if a fielder has a hangnail, they might say, hey, hey, you know what? Why don't you go play on the B side? 
mm-hmm. of the games today for two. Like they'll they will absolutely protect their players. But that also means if there is a real takeaway from this that you can act on now, it's that players being absent from the lineup means we get more opportunities to see the other guys. Right. Mm-hmm. The other guys that are fighting and trying to make this team fighting and trying to find a way to get regular at bats on this roster. Right. Christopher Morrell is a guy who I am concerned about how much he can play because his strikeout rate can just be atrocious at times. But he has explosive power and speed. And if he can show, you know, this is a chance for him to continue to show his versatility. Morrell can play second base, third base outfield for fantasy. He can do it in real life as well. This is a way he could find a way uh, to get more spring at bats, maybe show us a little something like, hey, I've worked on this strikeout rate, strikeout and walk rates. We'll talk a little bit about what I'm looking for in spring training, I think a little later, but strikeout and walk rates are something meaningful that you can take from the spring, mm-hmm. right? Not minor changes, but if you do see significant changes, like if Christopher, if Christopher Morrell can strike out less than 30% of the time this spring, I'm more excited about him uh, at that point than I am right now. Because we do see a little bit of stickiness there. Uh, Strikeout rate and walk rate can be sticky as early as 50 plate appearances. They're going to get that this spring. So that's what I'm looking for. Like stolen bases are too fluky in the spring. Home runs, they're in different parks. Stuff like that. But things like fly ball rate, things like, uh, I mean, fly ball rate even then is still a little bit tricky. But, uh, you know, walk out, like walk and strikeout rates. I want to see that the Cubs have a couple guys who really could be working on that. I don't expect Patrick wisdom to change, but Christopher Morrell could. And this injury to say a Suzuki may give him more opportunities to fight for spots on this team and fight for more regular at bats. Yeah. You mentioned Morrell. Uh, most of the projection models have him hitting somewhere around 15, 16 home runs and stealing double digit bases, you know, 10, 11, 12 uh, stolen bases. But, uh, they limit his playing time to, you know, maybe 100, 110 games. So uh, if he gets the opportunity, yeah, those projection numbers could go up. And and like you said, uh, we should be concerned with uh, walk and strikeout rates. And, you know, he came to the plate uh, 425 times last season and had a 32% K rate. But if he could, you know, kind of adjust a little bit better and, uh, you know, he's got some potential. And, and great point on your part that, uh, taking a look at uh, injuries in an optimistic way where we could, you know, get to learn about other players who uh, get more playing time as a result of, of some players being sidelined. But, uh, you know, Suzuki, uh, definitely um, a player that we will monitor as the season goes on, and hopefully he won't be out for a long time because, like I said, oblique injuries – could be very tricky, but uh, so uh, Scott, we got our first look <laughs> at spring training games uh, starting Friday, and uh, you know the the pitch clock, uh, and, and we had a, a very uh, right away we saw uh, a significant change in the length of games. There were only two spring training games, I believe, on Friday, and they averaged just about two and a half hours. And prior season. Uh, the spring training games were averaging three and a half hours. So uh, just want to remind that we're talking, there's a lot of new rule changes and uh, the, the pitch clock being one of them. Pitcher has 15 seconds to throw a pitch to home plate with no runners on base, 20 seconds when a batter is on base. And Scott, you know, I'm a little bit of a nerd and I like Star Trek and, uh, 
Captain Picard on The Next Generation often used the term engage to confirm his orders. And now uh, engagement and disengagement has become uh, part of the baseball vernacular, right? Because the one thing I didn't realize, Scott, and we talked about Manny Machado. He was uh, the first guy to be caught on this pitch clock violation where he steps into the, the batter's box, right? But I didn't realize that the batter had to be engaged with the pitcher, looking at the pitcher, feet flat in the batter's box with in eight, eight seconds left on that pitch clock. Did, were you aware of that? I, I had no idea. I was, but I didn't realize so many hitters took so freaking long to look at the pitcher. Uh, you know, <laughs> look I, at I think, me, look at me. <laughs> yeah. I think one thing that is happening that major league baseball needs to figure out is they need to show us what's left on the pitch clock as we're watching the game, mm-hmm. right? Some spring training stadiums, you can see the pitch clock actually on the field. It's like right. on right. the, it's like behind there, but a lot of times you can't see it. So there is a lot of confusion as a watcher being like, wait, what just happened? Mm-hmm. Right. Why, why, why is that happening? Yeah. Um, and it's- so like in a football game where right, there's a 30 second clock by which the the play has to come off and we see that on screen right so we you're right we need to see the pitch clock countdown on the screen i think they call it like a bug digital uh, signature or whatnot whatever but we need to see that i agree with you yeah, we have to see it, and I think some of spring training is just helping players get used to the rule changes, right? There are players that, like Manny Machado, that do take a long time in the box, right? Unstrap, restrap gloves, twist them a little, check your shoes, you know, everything. And, there, I mean, there's a reason they need to be engaged with the pitcher, because the pitcher isn't supposed to throw if the guy's not ready in the box. Right, right. right. If, I mean, that, if, that's a big deal, so... On one hand, I don't think this really changes that much in terms of outcomes. And even if you think it will change outcomes in games, I would dare you to project it in a way that you that you think you could rely on, right? Like, you might be able to say, like, I think certain pitchers could struggle, and maybe it's these guys, but in what way, right? Are they going to be worse pitchers? What if it makes them, I mean, God forbid, what if it makes them better mm-hmm. to just be locked in and cruising? Right. Certain pitchers, I think, will be very comfortable with this because they just want to go, go, go. Uh, And some hitters are ready right away. Some are going to have to tweak how long they take. But in the minors, I mean, we've had this and it's not like we saw players just fall apart Mm -hmm. because of the pitch clock. I never heard once last season that the pitch clock has made this player struggle. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just not what happens. I don't expect to hear that at the major league level. I do think it's going to lead to some more tweets that get a lot of traction because it's kind of confusing. I think, yes, it's easy to say, I would hate to be watching a game, two outs, bottom of the ninth, bases loaded, and the game ends because a player took too long to adjust his batting gloves. But if that's the case, have your batting gloves, like, be ready in the box, mm-hmm. right? Like, again, show us so we can see how long it's taking, but be ready in the box. It's not like, it, it's not like the, it's not like they had to run down the field like in football and hurry up and line up. Right. If you're still in the batter's box, you never had to take more than two steps. You're right there. Be ready. I'm not blaming hitters necessarily, but I think this is something they will correct. They've got over a month to do it. Sure. Um, And basically what you said, the scenario kind of happened yesterday, right? There was an automatic strikeout called in the ninth inning on Cal Conley for the Braves uh, because he wasn't engaged in the batter's box. So, um, you know, I would hate <laughs> for, you know, uh, 
bottom of the ninth in uh, the World Series, you know, the 4-1 score, bases loaded, 3-2 count, and somebody gets, called, you know, an automatic strike called on them. You know, that, that that's, I mean, I'm all for this uh, pitch clock. I want to see the game pace increase. I, I like shorter games. I know some people might disagree, but I do love the drama that takes place in, you know, a playoff game. You know, when you have a great pitcher against a great hitter in a high leverage situation and, you know, the pitcher walks off the mound and he's looking up and, you know, in those scenarios, I could take it. But but we're not going to get that this year, I guess. Right. I mean, does football (laughs) lack that kind of tension by using a play clock? Does basketball lack that kind of tension by having a shot clock? To me, this rule is very similar to that. Mm. It will still get that tension. It's just. Like, yeah, it might, you know, the player might feel a little bit rushed at first, but especially by the time October comes around, September, they'll be used to it. Yeah, we're all going to like they're going to be used to it again. I hope that hitters are able to see the clock when they're in the box. I'm, you know, obviously pitchers need to be able to see the clock when they're in the box. As a viewer, I want to be able to see the clock so I know what's going on. Football would be hard to watch without that play clock. You'd just be like, why are these guys taking so long? (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) Right? But, Mm -hmm. um, you know. There were like, it's not like we're losing baseball, right? We're losing the stuff that all the stuff that said baseball is boring. That's what we're losing. I actually, again, I I might be on an unpopular side on this, but I like it. I want to see baseball games, right? Mm -hmm. Yankees, Red Sox games do not need to be four hours long. Correct. They just don't. Mm -hmm. Two, that's great. I mean, that's how they make this a more watchable product on TV. And, you know, I know TV is a big deal. This isn't fancy related, but Bally Sports looking like they're going to go bankrupt. So someone else is going to have to pick up all of these local stations. Mm. You got to have a watchable product to do that. And four hour baseball games are not watchable products. Two hours are. If that means early in the season, we see some sort of like games ending with a thud because some batter wasn't looking or -hmm. some pitcher readjusted too many times. But at the same time, I don't think it's any work that any worse than seeing a game end on a balk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like that's lame too, right. and we we just, but we don't see it that often. Yeah, well, uh, so far, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how this progresses when the games are more meaningful, regular season games. But so far, the reactions have been good. Robbie Ray uh, said that the pitch timer helped him to boost his rhythm on the on the mound. Uh, Marcus Simeon, uh, second baseman for the Rangers, he said he didn't feel rushed at the plate. Uh, but that he was more focused on the new shift restrictions. Uh, let's see, Vinny Pasquantino, uh, he, he got a, a a walk on a 3-0 pitch. He, you know, he, he loves the new pitch timer. Uh, there was a manager, I, I forget which one, uh, spoke up. He said he liked it as well. So uh, it, there's going to be, it's going to make watching baseball, especially the first month or two, uh, a lot more exciting. It's going to be more fun just as everyone gets adjusted to it. But uh, the one guy I thought about uh, was Tyler Glass now, because remember how he blamed baseball's focus on checking si- sticky stuff on him uh, getting injured and then eventually having to get Tommy John surgery. I wonder if there's going to be any pitchers that say, hey, look, you know, I was rushed to throw and look, now I'm on the uh, IL because, you know, I strained myself, you know, I wasn't able to, you know, get ready, you know, and, and set myself and whatnot. So I wonder if that's going to be an issue. There's going to be a slew of injuries 
this March and April. There are every year. So I'm sure we'll get another chance to, to, to talk about that particular issue. We'll get another bite at that apple. I'm almost certain someone's going to complain about it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, you know, for now, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I think we're on the same page. You and I both like it, right? Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. I, I, I'm glad you mentioned Vinny Pasquantino because these younger players have already had it. They've already mm. played with it. They're yeah. ready. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Very good point. Let's take a quick break right here. We're going to come back and talk a little draft strategy and talk about uh, we, we did uh, position previews in our previous episodes. And there were some players that I feel that we didn't have uh, enough time to really focus on some players that you could get in the middle rounds. Uh, later rounds and whatnot, some some players that we think that maybe uh, we should focus on a little bit more. We'll be right back right after this. All right, we're back. Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. Joe Galina, Scott Chu, uh, back with you. Scott, how's, how's your uh, draft strategy uh, going so far? We're only, like I said, very late uh, February, but we're going to slowly uh, build up to primetime draft season. Uh, you and I, uh, we mentioned last week, and don't want to beat it to death, but we're in auction leagues in Tout Wars. I'm in a 12-teamer mix, then you're in the 15-teamer mix. How's your draft prep change for auction drafts, and, and what's going on with your draft prep strategy right now? Yeah, I love that question because what surprised me was how much differently I felt about third base in auctions. Because the biggest difference between auction and snake is that in snake, you do not have an opportunity to draft every player that you want. You cannot, right? That's just not the way the draft works. You have to just deal with the fact that, for example, if you pick first overall, you don't choose Jose Ramirez. You have maybe one more of the top six third baseman coming back to you. Right. Mm -hmm. Nolan Arenado might make it back in a 15 teamer, maybe. Right. In a 12 teamer, maybe you get, you know, one, you know, one or two guys are still left. Mm -hmm. Right. In an auction, you get a chance to bid on any of them. Right. So you can sort of say, you know, in, in a regular snake draft, I've been telling myself one of my first two round picks will be a third baseman. I Mm -hmm. do not want the rest, right? If I just doesn't work out, like there's too good of values elsewhere for me to do that, then I need to be ready to jump on probably Bregman. Uh, maybe I wait a little bit and grab Muncie, but all of a sudden my whole draft sort of comes around. Like, how do I get a third baseman mm-hmm. in the auction? It's a very different approach. I say, I like all of those top six third basemen. Who do I get the best deal on? Right. Let me just watch the prices as this auction goes and I'll just try to gauge which one I feel I'm getting the best deal on. I'll put bids on all of them. Mm-hmm. Right. And even if I miss, I'm like, OK, I know I will get an opportunity. This just means I have to overpay a little for maybe a Bregman or a Muncie or, hey, heck, maybe I'm like, hey, you know, having Eugenio Suarez isn't ideal as my starting third baseman. But if I can get him for dirt cheap because everyone else spent all their money on third base already, I'll mm-hmm. do it. If, if you haven't done auctions before you're trying to get in, let me tell you, it's got a very different feel because again, you get a chance to always get the guys you want. Yes. You, mm-hmm. you can't be sniped in an auction. You can only be outbid. That's it. If you yeah. wanted a guy, you always have a chance to get him. That's what I like about auctions. It's why I like it in terms of my, my offensive build strategy is totally different. 
because I get a chance to bid on anybody. And I can say, I, I want to make sure I get one of these three guys and I don't have to reach to do it. Right. Because right. I can just say, okay, I'm willing to bid this much on all of them and I'll mm-hmm. see which ones I get. So, so that's exciting. And, and that's really where the difference is. Third base probably felt the most different, but it also means you can look at positions and say, Hey, where, you know, Hey, look, all these other teams have a, have a second baseman, right? That means only so many more teams are going to be bidding on second baseman. That's the part that's similar to mm-hmm. a snake draft where you can sort of gauge, like I might be able to get a deal on this guy. Cause everyone's already got theirs. It also changes how you address catcher, right? Because you're like, these are the catchers I'm willing to you know, start. And I can say, all right, I'll just get the cheapest one. What catcher can I get for a dollar? Mm-hmm. You can do those kinds of things. Whereas in a snake draft, because of where you are in the draft and who other people might take without you getting a chance to do that, it, it changes things. There's mm-hmm. no projecting where is he going to go. There's just a how much am I willing to bid? Yeah. Uh, I was involved in a uh, 12-team mock draft earlier this week. And just to you know, drive home your point, in a 12-teamer, uh, I ended up having, and I picked from the fifth slot, I had to pick up uh, Nolan Arenado in the second round. So, I mean, these these third basemen in snake drafts are really just coming off the board real quick. So, and a great point in terms of auction uh, strategy and drafts. Yes, you always have the opportunity to grab the player that you want. Uh, are you using a specific software? Uh, I know that uh, Fangrass has a good auction calculator. Like, how are you figuring out what are fair bids and, and fair prices to pay? Yeah, I mean, I got to start. If you're a, a PL Pro member, we have an auction calculator. It's awesome. down right now okay. as they fix a bug. But okay. um, it's got our projections, which are a mix of ATC and mm-hmm. our PLV data, right? So if PLV okay. really liked certain players, we boosted them. Right. Mm-hmm. So really cool. You can still see a lot of those values for standard leagues and the tools that are still available. If you're not a PL pro member and that's okay, right. I get it. Uh, the best free tool I'm aware of is actually that Fangraphs auction calculator. Mm-hmm. Love it because it's extremely customizable. You get to pick which projection system you want to use and you can set in all of your stuff. If you're not a Neo league, they've got preset like stuff set up for out of Neo. So you can say, Hey, I'm in a four by four out of Neo classic, right? Okay. That's actually just a preset. I can put it in, just tell it how many teams I've got. I'm good to go. Mm -hmm. Uh, Same for you're in some weird points league, right? Where you get some crazy fractions all over the place. You can set that in the auction calculator. People always ask me, where do you get points leagues rankings? That's the first place I go. I go to the auction calculator. I see what it spits out because it also helps you balance the positions a little better. There are ways to turn ADP into auction data. Um, I know Fangraphs had an article about it several years ago. But I would actually just really tell people, go look at current, you know, current year projections. And also, cool thing about the auction calculator on fan graphs is you can go back and you can just say, okay, how much value did these guys make in 2022, mm-hmm. right? So if I say like, you know, how much, you know, I can talk about how much value a player has if they only play 120 games, but I can also just go look at guys who only played 120 games and see where they ended up. Right. right. Where, where did they fall in the rankings on those, you know, on that, uh, based on the set, based on the set categories or set scoring that I've put into the auction calculator. So it's interesting to see how they move around. You can also compare ATC and steamer and the bat, the bad X, mm-hmm. uh, all the, all these different things. So 
a really cool tool. Again, I love ours. If I can, you know, when, when that auction calculator is ready, that's where I'll start. I love the ATC projections by Ariel Cohen. Uh, I, I think it's a great mix of a lot of different projections in there. Adding yep. in our PLV stuff, which I think is just a real game changer. I'll start there. If I don't have that or I can't get the customization I want on that, I then go to the Fangraphs auction calculator. Gotcha. Okay, good stuff. So we uh, had discussed that we wanted to talk about some players that maybe we didn't have a chance to focus in on enough when we did our uh, player previews. So let's just throw player names out there. I know that there were a few that you wanted to discuss there, Scott. Uh, Jordan Walker, uh, we, we talked about him briefly, uh, but uh, he's someone that piques your interest. I think he's someone that piques everyone's interest right now, right? Uh, actually, in drafts since the beginning of uh, that have ended since February 1st in NFBC, uh, he's gone as early as pick 121. His ADP is over at 207. That's pretty darn high, right? To put that in perspective, as a third baseman, that puts him in the area of Josh Young. Mm-hmm. Uh, for other position players, that's ahead of Miguel Vargas. That's ahead of, you know, in terms of pitchers, or actually in terms of other third basemen, that's ahead of Anthony Rendon. That's ahead of Tristan Cassis in terms of ADP, uh, ahead of Will Myers, right? So there's some real names there that matter, right? Mm-hmm. And he's ahead of them. I, I, I'm i not going to sit here and say I hate it, right? I, I, I can't say, like, Jordan Walker's an extremely exciting prospect, top five prospect in baseball right now by, you know, a, a, at least according to a lot of smart people. He's shown a lot of things. He's got power. He's got speed. He can hit for, you know, contact. He can do it all, really. He is a five-tool type player. But first things first, does he get on the 25-man roster, right? 26-man roster. The the, the Cardinals are famous for how crowded their rosters get, especially Mm -hmm. in the spring. No matter how many outfielders and corner infielders they trade, there's always more to take their place, right? We were already wondering how a guy like Nolan Gorman or Nolan Gorman, a young, you know, a young lefty with power. How does he get in? Mm -hmm. Right. What does he, you know, how does he get in the lineup? We've been thinking, how does Lars Newtbar stay in the lineup? Right. Lefty who has great, you know, takes a ton of walks could really be a nice player for them. They've got a ton of guys who are never coming out of the game when healthy. Tommy Mm -hmm. Edmond is playing every day. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt is playing every day. Nolan Arenado is playing every single day. Right. Uh, maybe there's some room if you move, you know, if if they finally give up on the only 24 year old former first round pick Dylan Carlson. Right. Mm-hmm. I guess there's room at DH if, if Juan Yepes can't hack it. But, you know, I keep hearing everyone say, oh, Jordan Walker's going to play. But it's kind of like where? Where? Right. And if yep. he does, if Jordan Walker does play, who loses all the time? You think only Dylan Carlson's going to lose time. Right. Are you just assuming like. Tyler O'Neill, hopefully he stays healthy. I'm sure he will go through some injury, but when will that be? Right. So I, I like him in draft and hold leagues. Obviously, you love Jordan Walker and Dynasty and in Keeper. But man, in 12 team redraft, how many, you know, that is your that would be your only hitter bench spot. It's really hard to keep more than one or two hitters on your bench in 12 team mixed leagues. You really need those spots for streaming pitching, quite frankly, uh, and just rotating pitching in. It's that is the only bench spot you can get. And you're taking him over other guys who could be starting for you. So I, I just, I really struggle with it. I'd rather take a chance on a guy like Josh young, who at least I know he's going to play. Yes. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm already worried about, you know, I know Miguel Vargas has a role. I just don't know how big it is. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if Jordan Walker has a role in April yet. 
it's going to be interesting to see how the Cardinals handle him in spring training because looking at his minor league career, he's only played third base or in the outfield. I mean, do they give him some reps at second base and maybe he could, you know, uh, play some second base this season? You know, uh, Brendan Donovan right now penciled in as the second baseman as per roster resource, um, you know, but I agree with you. I mean, a, a lot of talent, exciting player to watch, but I don't know if he gets enough at bats, at least early in the season. And and to their credit, the Cardinals have been pretty good at calling up some of their young talent, you know, uh, you know, throughout the past couple of years, uh, Donovan being one of them. Um, Yepes was another one, right? I mean, the, Gorman, we actually got to see him some last year. So there is a good shot. We're going to see some of Walker this season. How much? It's hard to say right now. Yeah, I mean, it. it is worth noting that I don't believe he's even on the 40-man roster at this moment. Yeah, that's that's right? big. <laughs> Again, I do think that he's, you know, he's going to make a push, right? We, it would not be that, like, I'm worried about that ADP right now. I mm-hmm. do not love drafting Jordan Walker in the late 100s, early 200s in February. I probably don't even like it in early March. But if it does look like he's got a very regular role playing five times a week by the end of spring training and your draft isn't until a month from now at the end of March, then that could make some sense. But man, in redraft specifically, that's such a big investment to make that could absolutely blow up in your face. I don't mind making investments like that, but not like this. Not when I'm, I have two, like I, I say this a lot. I hate having two questions at the same time. I hate knowing how much a guy is going to play and then what he's going to look like in the major leagues. Yep. Right. I don't like asking both those questions at the same time. One or the other is fine, but not both. Third base, so tough. Like we were trying to come up with, you know, players that we had kind of missed out on 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 our position previews. And I'm looking at third base. And like you mentioned, Josh Young is is somebody to consider because he's going to be getting everyday playing time. But the the only guy that I that I saw that, you know, we that's almost free that I'm going to be watching um, that has some has me thinking about him is is Spencer steer from the reds. And, you know, I'm sure not many people know about him. I don't know too much about him other than what I see uh, based on his stats, but looks like he's going to be playing every day. It looks like he's got some power. And the thing that makes him a little bit intriguing uh, down the line, because he's not somebody, you know, that I would uh, draft in a 12 team, you know, typical Yahoo league, but maybe in, a, in a, one of these uh, draft champion leagues where you go in 50 rounds, he's somebody that I would obviously look at. But, you know, 23 home runs uh, in 106 minor league games last season with a 274 average and 879 OPS. Love the fact that he plays at the Great American Ballpark. But that just shows you how uh, scarce the, the quality is at their base this season. Yeah, and I mean – Steer is a is mostly a power prospect. He's got a decent hit tool as well. Does mm-hmm. not strike out a ton, uh, which, which I like. You know, with him, the biggest thing is when you look at the Reds roster right now, mm-hmm. they don't have another third baseman, mm-hmm. right? And and if they if they choose to play someone else at third base, I think it would have to be Will Myers, which means they don't have a first baseman, right? <laughs> right? right like, right. well, Votto. I mean, no, Votto's <clears throat> going to get us at bats, and you're right. Um, they don't have another third baseman. To me, that's what makes um, 
Spencer Steer so so um, intriguing in his own way. The fact that he's yeah. probably going to get 500 at bats. Yeah, and <laughs> it's worth noting that you know I just talked about how I don't like Jordan Walker. I, I want to make sure I talk about the fact that that's a very it's very different. If if the pick is between Jordan Walker and Spencer Steer, absolutely Jordan Walker. The upside is a million times higher. I mean, yes. not a million, but a lot. It is way higher with him. Uh, I, I don't think I would ever do a trade Jordan Walker for Spencer Steer. There, there's no way, right? Mm-hmm. The difference, of course, is that at least with Spencer Steer, uh, I wonder a little bit about how he's going to perform. You know, I do wonder how he'll perform in the major leagues. I do know as of right now, it looks like the Reds are giving him a shot, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm in a deeper league and I need someone, you know, I missed out on corner infield, the whole stupid draft, right? Which is not a very difficult thing to do. You Mm -hmm. didn't address third base early. You know, maybe you got one third baseman, but you can't get through a season with just one corner, you know, one third baseman. Uh, You, especially when you have deeper benches late in the draft, I'm absolutely looking at Spencer steer simply because again, the opportunity is massive, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, they really want him to win this job. And let's be that ADP, that Jordan Walker ADP was up at 207, uh, like 200 something, right? Mm-hmm. Early 200s. Spencer Steer ADP this month, 469. Right. Right. He's free. <laughs> no, yeah. that, that's more than free. Right. <laughs> like a lot of standard leagues don't even have 300 picks. Right. Right. right? For, forget 469. So this is definitely a guy that, you know, if you're in those leagues where playing time, is a commodity in and of itself. Spencer Steers getting a shot and Hey, he is a guy who really could win this job. And there are projection systems that think he can be a, a real contributor, mm-hmm. right? A guy who could really hit, you know, in 130, 40 games, which, you know, more than I might expect him to play, but he could, I mean, who else is going to play third base right now? Mm. He could hit, you know, 18 to 20 home runs might only hit 230, 240 doing it. Those stats matter in a lot of deeper formats, right? If I'm in a draft, especially like a draft and hold where you don't get to make waiver wire moves, this is, a, I think, a very strong pickup as part of your bench just to make sure you've got you've always got a guy who you can plug in to be a third baseman. Right. Yeah. Uh, like we said, <laughs> third base uh, devoid of of depth. Right. I guess that's a, a good way to put it. Um, there's another guy that you had said you wanted to talk about, Isak. Paredes, uh, former Tiger, now with the Rays, um, penciled in as the everyday third baseman for the Rays with uh, Yandy Diaz getting a lot of work at first base, as uh, that's uh, according to uh, reports and as well uh, from uh, roster resource. Uh, Paredes uh, got got uh, power bat expected to hit somewhere around, I don't know, the lower to mid uh 20 home runs. Tell me what you think about your, your friend Isak Paredes. Yeah. So one of the things coming, you know, especially earlier in the draft scene, there was a lot of questions about how much Isak Paredes is going to get to play, right? This was a, a major question for me. And that's why in the original sets of rankings, he did not make any of the top thirties because he's got some, you know, he's got some defects. That's for sure. The batting average in the major leagues looked like it might be different than I originally expected when he was with the tigers. He was definitely a hit tool. First guy, the rays have really sort of transformed him very quickly into a power first bat, right? They've really got him pulling fly balls, really trying to make that happen instead of spraying it around like he was before. That means the batting average might not be so good. Most projection systems have him around like a, you know, 230 to 240 sort of range. I think he could be closer to 240 to 250 if he looked, you know, because I remember how good that hit tool looked in the minors for Detroit. But 
regardless of that, uh, the plate discipline is really strong, right? Double digit walk rate. I mean, even last season we saw 11.5% walk rate, 17.6% strikeout rate. That's really, really strong, you know, above average on both sides. I like that. I love the power. If this guy can play 130 games, which again, for the Rays is a tall order, I think there's 25 plus home run power, but even at 120 games, I think you can get your 20 home runs. I think you can get plenty of counting stats because he should bat somewhere in the middle of this Rays lineup. Isak Paredes does have some guys that he has to fight off specifically at third base. Jonathan Aranda is a guy from the minor leagues that you should make the bench for this race team. He's pretty tough. They've got a really highly regarded prospect guy. Who's like just gone up like a, I mean, just shot up like a rocket. That's Curtis Mead uh, in the, the Australian prospect that they have. He's been excellent at, you know, you know, really with the bat he's a, and Paredes is not a good defender at any position. But, you know, between the fact that Paredes can play first, second, and third, right? And the guys in front of him there, Yandi Diaz, Brandon uh, Brandon Lau, they are injury-prone guys. Right now, penciled in a DH is Harold Ramirez. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Like, how long are they really going to keep Harold Ramirez uh, as the only DH? Just the guy with very limited power, just very limited upside. There's no reason Isak Paredes, even if he loses some of the third-base job, couldn't then move to DH. Right. He's very versatile. He's the type of player the Rays love. I think this is a great late round pick because, again, you don't get more than one or two hitters to keep on your bench in a lot of standard leagues. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to do that, why not get a guy that can play all over the infield? He can be first, second, third, which also means corner and middle. Right. That's a great fill in spot. I love him in draft and holds because of that versatility. I love him in deep leagues because of that versatility because you only get a few hitter bench spots. And his ADP is great. It's, It's down around 300. Right. Mm-hmm. 313 is the current ADP. He's on, you know, that, that's free. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, the other players going around him, like, why would I want Brandon Marsh? Right. There are some other players near there that I also like. Jake Fraley, very interesting bat who has struggled to stay healthy, but has a really good OBP skills. He could hit double digit home runs, double digit steals. He's kind of interesting, but like Isak Brady's or Chris Taylor, give me Isak Brady's every time. I want the power upside, I want the versatility. Give me that kind of stuff. So uh, I like him a lot. I wanted to rank him when I originally did those rankings uh, at, back at the beginning of the month. But now that it looks like he's way more, Paredes looks way more certain to have a full-ish time gig, at least at the start of the season. I'm way more in. Uh, he's probably now towards the back tier of first, second, and third base for me. Right. What do you think about um, the one thing that worries about him uh, uh, is uh, his batting average. And, and I'm looking at his contact skills. They're really good. Uh, I think it's like 85% or so, um, which is way above average. But that batting average, uh, I think it was 205 last season and as expected was like 210. <laughs> um, so uh, do you think that that could improve or is he just, you know, you, you take him, uh, as a guy that's going to help you in the power positions and R- RBI and whatnot. And hopefully you have a balanced enough team where you could absorb the low batting average. Yeah. So I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned his contact ability. He makes a lot of contact. In fact, if you look at our rolling charts, if you're a you know, PL pro or not, you can still access our PLV skills metrics charts. Isak Paredes well above 
the 75th percentile really for almost the entire season right towards the end it's it goes down to like the 75th percentile incredible contact skills what really stood out to me though is his decision value so he he was always pretty good above average decision value we see towards the end of the season he just takes off he starts making amazing decisions at the plate he can make contact he really just struggled with making when you see a player who's making a ton of contact not striking out but a low batting average it's really one of two or yeah, it's really one of two things going on either extreme fly ball hitter because they just won't have high batting average. They mostly need the ball to leave the park for that to work. The other is making lots of contact, but making too much weak contact, right? Mm -hmm. Swinging at stuff that maybe they shouldn't, maybe they should lay off. Even if it's a strike, letting that sort of go Brady's, I think, He's always had, you know, he actually started the season with a lot of power. It really came down later, but he's got a really good hit tool. He knows how to get his bat on the ball. We see a lot of players like this, especially earlier in their careers, where they just struggle to hit for as much power as you'd expect because they're making contact, but they're making too much weak contact. I mean, the Tiger that really struggled with this was Spencer Torkelson, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he made plenty of contact. He wasn't striking out. He wasn't missing. He was just hitting too many bad balls, right? Too many things he couldn't do much with. I think the more Paradis gets used to seeing those major league pitches, the more we see him take advantage of the pitches he knows he can hit, right? Which, again, is a lot of pitches. I think he could really take the next step by just laying off some of the corner stuff, right? Laying off some of those things, or at least maybe changing his approach a little bit when it's like, oh, okay, this pitch is in a place I don't really hit it well. Let's lay off. Or if I'm going to try to hit it, I'm going to change how I hit it, right? I mean... Again, I'll use another Tiger. Miguel Cabrera was amazing at this. One team decided to swing. When he located the ball and he saw that maybe it was a little too far inside, he's like, okay, I guess I'll flick this uh, the other way and take mm -hmm. my single, right? I mean, you can't tell any player to be Miguel Cabrera, but it takes experience to become that kind of hitter. Very few hitters can do that right out of the gate. So I think there's a lot of potential there. And I, the batting average is never going to be good, but I think... Paredes could get to a place where it doesn't hurt you. I think he could be a 240, 250 hitter with the kind of decision value we see and contact ability we see. And I, I think the Rays know how to get him to that place. Mm -hmm. All right, good, good stuff. Um, so why don't we take another quick break here? Um, I want to get Scott's opinion on a couple outfielders, Eloy Jimenez, Oscar Colas, um, also, I think Scott wanted to talk about Luis Urias and uh, Oswald Peraza, and maybe we'll uh, circle back to the catcher position with uh, Shea Langoliers. We'll be right back right after this. And we're back. Hacks and Jacks, Fantasy Baseball Podcast, Joe Galina, Scott Chu, and before our uh, break, I had mentioned I wanted to get Scott's opinion on Eloy Jimenez, outfielder for the White Sox. There's no questioning the guy's uh, hit tool. You know, he's uh, uh, if he could play uh, every day and, and not end up on the IL. I mean, injuries have been an issue for him, uh, obviously. But the guy, uh, 162 game average, 36 homers, 108 RBI. Um, only played 84 games last season, 2021, it was 55 games. Um, what are you doing with Eloy Jimenez this season? White Sox are saying that they want him to DH a little bit more, obviously to, uh, try to help him out with his health issues. And 
if he does DH more, does it mean that a guy like Oscar Colas, uh, prospect for the uh, White Sox, uh, played uh, some ball in the uh, Cuban National League, um, does he, you know, all of a sudden uh, have more fantasy value this season? So Eloy Jimenez, I mean, he's he continues to be this if only. Right. He's not quite to Byron Buxton levels yet with the if only, especially because he doesn't have the speed to uh, to hurt himself in the ways that Byron Buxton hurts himself. But Eloy Jimenez is big, man. It's like six, four, two, forty, two, fifty big dude. And he's really struggled with, you know, it's not the same recurring injuries as much as it is just like hurting himself all over the place, right. which is one of two things. Right. On one hand, it's showing a troubling trend. On the other hand, at least it's not a thing that we predict is going to keep happening necessarily. Right. It's not like a it's like not a always a hamstring issue. or a, a right. back. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not like, you know, Tatis has this shoulder issue he keeps having to get worked on. Right. We have a very specific thing we're worried uh, about. He, uh, just an aside. He had surgery. He had the wrist surgery and he took care of the shoulder. So, you know, I've been, a, a, you know, on Tatis to get that surgery and he finally listened yeah. to me. But anyway, go ahead. But it's, <laughs> yeah, it's a specific thing for us to worry about. It's a joint, right? We're, right. we're worried about that. With uh, Jimenez, it's not like that. So, um, and it's also not like he's hurting himself trying to be overly athletic. That's his teammate, Lewis Robert, right? Now he's hurting himself diving into walls, right? That's Byron Buxton kind of stuff. Right. Eloy Jimenez doesn't do that either. I'm not sure that DHing necessarily saves his body a whole lot because that's not always how he's hurting himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think the the power is, you know, prodigious, right? This guy, 30 home runs. If, if you told me he's playing 130 games, he's a lock 30 home runs to me. That's right. just what this guy can do. I think for him, it's not that I don't want him on my fantasy teams. It just means I have to have another safe option in my top two outfielders, right? right? I can't have him, you know, and a Buxton, right? Mm-hmm. Because then I'm replacing my whole, st- I, I might be replacing my whole stupid outfield by May. Mm-hmm. I can't do that. Uh, there are, re- there's good replacement level at outfield. You can always have one guy who you're worried about the durability. It just means you have to have the other two ready to go. And you have to know your league format, right? Replacing an Eloy Jimenez in NFBC, 15 teams, five outfield, is a lot more difficult than the standard Yahoo League, which is 12 teams, three outfield, right? right. There's all kinds of replacement level outfield in the Yahoo version. In NFBC, it probably means I want to have a little extra outfield depth so that mm-hmm. I'm not only relying on him, right? So that's how I address it. Now with Oscar Colas, I... I want to be excited about this again, another guy with tons of power. He's super white soxy to me, which is doesn't walk swings a ton. Mm-hmm. So Polis, I mean, he struck out, it was a very small sample in triple a struck out 36.4% of the time. in his only, again, only seven games, right? Uh, 33 plate appearances. He also hit the cover off the ball right. uh, in those few games when he played, you know, two home runs in those seven games also stole a base. He's not a speed threat necessarily, but we, we did see him also. I mean, he went from low A or sorry. He went from high A to double A to triple A all last season. So right. he went all the way through. He played very well. I worry about the strikeout rate a little bit, not long-term necessarily as much as a short-term adjusting right. to new levels is hard. You will strike out more. And the biggest jump in terms of strikeout rate that we see is from minors to majors, right? We see some, you know, jumps between like single A and double A, double A, triple A. You see a little bit of that. But the jump from AAA or AA to the majors, that's where strikeout rate often really can spike because major league pitchers have more than one good breaking ball, mm-hmm. right? Otherwise, they're not major league pitchers. 
<laughs> or their relievers, right? So that's a big adjustment for these players to make. It's really tough for guys who don't walk a lot, who don't take a lot of pitches, because one of two things happens for a guy like Colas, right? Maybe he keeps the strikeout rate okay, but the quality of contact drops because he's able to get his bat on the ball, but it's stuff that's nowhere near where he wants to hit them. Or what's more likely is he just swings and misses at a lot of stuff, right? He falls behind in counts really early, and then it's really hard for him to fight back. So I think he could be a slow start, but with an opportunity, and I think Colas will get an opportunity to be in this outfield. I think you're just going to have to be patient with him. And if you're able to be patient, either have him on a watch list in the redraft league or really not just like rely on him for April and May. I think by the time the summer rolls around, we could be seeing a pretty good power hitter. Uh, you know, again, power only probably, but I think we could be seeing that with, you know, a batting average that won't kill you 240, 250 something, right? Yeah. Starting out, I think it's going to be a lot worse than that. I don't, even if I knew he started, even if I knew Colas started at the beginning of April in 12 team leagues, I don't want him starting for me uh, until I've seen a few weeks of being adjusted. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I want to see a few weeks because he just has that kind of profile that can really hurt you. Good point. But I think you're selling him a little bit short on the batting average. I look at his batting average wherever he's played. I mean, only 526 played appearances uh, in the minor leagues, but batted 314 with an 895 OPS. OBP, I know I, his walk rate, what, is between 6 and 8%, but his OBP has always been high. And uh, batting average, you know, four seasons playing in Cuba, 282. And uh, I guess a, another foreign league, he batted 305 in, in uh, three seasons. So, uh, you know, I get your point. You know, he could be maybe a one-trick pony, but... Uh, Still, the power, you know, you know me, I love power guys. So, uh, you know, it drew me to him. Yeah, I, I'd say the one, I, I don't want to disagree with you, right? Mm -hmm. The one thing I would say is he struck out about 24.6 of the time, percent of the time in his time at double A. And I'm sure he improved as he went. I haven't looked at the game logs to see that. But if, if you told me, it, I feel like Oscar Colas would probably strike out about 25% of the time in the majors. You know how many players Very can strike fair. out? How many players can strike out 25% of the time in the majors and walk at league average rates or lower, right? The number of guys who can do that with any kind of decent batting average are people with names like Julio Rodriguez, hmm. right? <laughs> like it's really difficult, especially if it's more than that. Here are the guy, you know, there's a couple guys who can strike out close to 30% of the time and walk less than, uh, walk less than league average and have an okay batting average. That was like Teoscar Hernandez. Adolis Garcia has done it, right? But most of the guys, when you look at this list, they're the Cody Bellingers of the world, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. They're, uh, you know, Tommy Pham, right? And he actually walks more than average. It's difficult to succeed with that profile. It's not impossible, but it's difficult. And it takes time even when it happens because these guys I'm talking about, they're not rookies. Rookies are not really usually able to have that kind of success with a low walk rate and an above average strikeout rate. It's difficult, not impossible, but difficult. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Good analysis as always. Um, why don't we uh, head back to the third base position? You had wanted to talk about uh, Luis Urias, who is penciled in as the Milwaukee Brewers uh, starting third baseman this season. Uh, what do you like or dislike about Luis Urias? Yeah, so what I like about him is I feel really good about knowing what he is. Right, So he's likely a double-digit walk rate, 20% strikeout rate, going to hit around 
240 to 250, going to have a pretty strong OBP somewhere north of two, you know, probably like two, again, 340, 350. Uh, I love that. I also think that, you know, if he plays a hundred, you know, if he plays most of the season, which I think he will, uh, he's only, you know, he's 26 years old. I think he's a 20 home run hitter, right? And he's going to be batting in the middle of this Brewers order. He's not an exciting guy. He's not like a target in 12 team leagues, but anything deeper than that. Love yours because he's, he's eligible at both, you know, at both corner and middle infield. I love mm-hmm. players who can do that. He's Huge. eligible at second, second short and third. Uh, this is a guy who, you know, accumulators usually aren't that exciting, but he's got enough pop and enough hit tool to be a guy who racks up counting stats uh, and is really kind of under the radar in a lot of ways. Because, and I can't really figure out why. Can you figure out why he goes so late? But, I mean, we use the example of Jordan Walker. Right now, his, you know, where he's going here in, in February is pick 211, right? Luis Urias, 230. And I know he's going to play full-time, and I know he's going to hit 20 home runs. And I know he's going to be in the middle of the batting order, and I know he's going to do it every day, mm-hmm. right? So, especially in deeper leagues. I love that safety that Luis Urias can bring to me. I think he's a little bit under the radar because last season he only did play 119 games. He struggled with injury. It's not like he was getting benched or anything. He just struggled with some injuries and you know, it sort of took away a big chunk of a season. Still sit, still hit 16 home runs in those 119 games. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, there's still, still power there. It's not like it was just gone and it's not like he hit 220, right? It was like 239. I'll take that. That's fine. Especially at this point in the draft, this is after pick 200. Like, why would I be targeting Anthony? I mean, I understand why you might target Anthony Rendon. Cause you think he's going to make this big turnaround after some lost seasons of injury, man. If, if what I need is a safe middle or corner infielder, right? It's Luis Urias every time, mm-hmm. right? Like why, why would I throw the die? Like, why would I, you know, roll and gamble on Bryson Scott, uh, you know, Bryson Stott, who hasn't really shown us much in the majors when I can get Luis Urias who eligible at corner and middle does all those things for me. I I really like that. I mean, again, he won't steal any bases for you, but I absolutely love the value you can get from him and get more than just a single stat. I think he can provide power and RBI uh, at a decent rate. He's one of these guys that late in the draft, it's hard to find. I mean, it used to be Brian Anderson, the guy who everybody ignores in the draft, but it's going to hit in the middle of the lineup for a team. That's got a little bit of offense and that's 75 RBI, right? Mm-hmm. That's very much Luis Urias is that, and he's better than Brian Anderson. Cause if he wasn't Brian Anderson would start over him on this Brewers team and he's not gonna. Right. So uh, Urias, I, you know, the Brewers have a good offense, good home park. Uh, He's, he's a guy that I just, he's getting overlooked and I can't quite figure out why. Uh, could it be the batting average? I mean, you know, he's basically a, a 235, 245 average, but the points that you make are really good. I mean, playing every day in a uh, hitter's park, got some power, you know, give you a handful of stolen bases and the multi-position eligibility. I'm just trying to, you know, you're asking a question and I'm, I'm, I'm answering. I'm thinking maybe it could be uh, the batting average and maybe just could be also, you know, a guy that just is overlooked because of where he plays as well. You know, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. No, nobody's like, you're not seeing a lot of folks like collecting Luis Urias rookie autograph cards, right? right? Because right. he's, he's a pretty regular guy, but again, tw- as early as 2021, when he was only 24 years old, right? Age 24 season, he played 150 games. He hit 23 home runs, 77 runs scored, 75 RBI, stole five bases to go with it, right? And again, the you know, the batting average a little lower, it was 249, but especially in OBP leagues, it was 345. 
Right. I, I think, I think there's just an excellent floor here uh, for a player who is being drafted in a place where usually there's way more risk involved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's move on to, uh, you want to talk about a Yankee, which really makes me happy. Uh, Oswald Peraza uh, fighting for the starting shortstop job for the uh, Yankees. What do you think about him and his prospects this season? So the Yankees have a lot of decisions to make at shortstop because they got yes. a lot of guys who can play it. I think two, one of them is not exciting at all. One of them is kind of exciting. And of course, one of them is one of the best prospects in baseball in order, right? That was Isaiah Kiner Falefa, which yeah, he's a, he's a guy. He, right. he plays baseball. Uh, that's what <laughs> Eddie, Eddie steals bases, which is mm-hmm. fine. Uh, Oswald Peraza to me, more interesting. I was very, hes- I did not rank him in my original top 30. I've been very curious about how much he's going to play. If he does play, you know, if he starts, even if he only plays the first half of the season, because that top prospect, Anthony Volpe gets called up, mm-hmm. right? If that happens, then, you know, it really changes. But the more I think about it, at least for April and May, I think Oswald Peraza has got this job. I think the Yankees really do want to know what he can do. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, he showed pretty decent plate discipline in the 18 games we saw last year, 10% walk rate, 15.8% strikeout rate. I think that's a little better than he will be going forward because it's better than he was in the minor leagues. But uh, this was a guy who last season, 99 games in AAA, 19 home runs, 33 steals, right? This is a guy with speed, bit mm-hmm. of pop. I think even if he only plays those two months, you're going to get good production in both power and speed in a full season, which I don't think he'll get. I think he'd be like a 15 to 20 home run, 15 to, well, probably more like a 15 home run, 20 stolen base kind of bat, right? Again, I don't think he's going to play enough to get there, but at least for the first two months of the season, especially in redraft leagues, that's that's not bad, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's a very useful player there as that, you know, that one bench bat you've got. You want to shoot for some upside. I think Oswald Peraza is a place to do that because he's going to have a role to start. Again, he's actually a little tougher for me in things like draft and hold because I do think he might lose this job if Anthony Volpe continues to look like Anthony Volpe uh, as he goes through the minor leagues. I mean, Isaiah Counter-Falefa is not a threat to him in terms of playing time unless Peraza you know, really struggles. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's to me, the only reason why I can see they even care about keeping guys, Isaiah kind of fluff around is mm-hmm. because Oswald Peraza or he might struggle a little bit to start. Right. Right. But I, I think they really want him to win that job as long as he can. And then it's just a matter of how long can he fight off Anthony Volpe? Right. Well, if he does play well and the Yanks decide to call up Anthony Volpe, you know, who who knows, you know, Glaber, there's always he's always involved in in trade rumors and he's the uh, starting second baseman for the Yanks. And, uh, you know, Peraza has played sparingly, but he has played some second base in the minor leagues. Who knows? Maybe they you know move him over to second. And you know, once they call up Volpe uh, and uh, you're right about, it, you know, the, the good minor league numbers. I don't know where this power came from. Uh, you know, he, uh, he hit, uh, 18 home runs in, in 2021, um, and last season hit 19 home runs and 99, uh, AAA games. So it's it just kind of the last couple of seasons he's developed his power, but yeah, I'm happy that you're optimistic, uh, on, uh, Oswald Peraza. And, um, why don't we I gotta just... throw you a bone sometimes, Joe, once Thanks, in a buddy. while, Thanks, <laughs> Talk about yeah. a you know, you know, I always try to throw those tigers in when I can. You know, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> um, why don't we finish our uh, episode off with you wanted to circle back on the catcher position with the uh, ace catcher Shea Langoliers. So 
I, I don't have some like brilliant breakdown of Shea Langoliers. I think you probably know what he is. He's a guy who's going to strike out a lot. He's also a guy who, you know, in the minors, he had a little bit better contact rates. He took some more walks. I'd love to see Langoliers walk this spring. I think if he does, makes me a little more excited about him. The reason I want to talk about him is actually because of how sneaky he is on draft day. You notice I didn't rank Shea Langoliers in my top 30 catchers. Uh, actually, I'm sorry, I did because in Yahoo, he qualifies. But guess what? Leagues with 20 game eligibility, Shea Langoliers does not qualify at catcher to start. He will in April. And one strategy you can try to use, especially late in drafts, guys get forgotten about when they don't have the eligibility in the draft room. Because when you're in a draft and you say, I need my second catcher, right? Mm. Usually what you're doing is you're pulling up the catchers, right? Shea Legaliers ain't in that list for NFBC. Mm. He's not on that list for Fantrax. He's not on that list for CBS or ESPN. He's not there, mm. right? So if you need a second catcher, all you actually need is a stop. I mean, you can draft Shea Langoliers when the season starts, have a stopgap for three weeks. Shea Langoliers is going to get that eligibility. He's the starting catcher for the A's, and he's got a lot more upside than the rest of the guys in that in that area because he could hit 15 to 20 home runs at catcher. Mm -hmm. Again, the batting average, uh, the ratios would be no good, but this is catcher, folks. We're talking right. about second catcher. You got to give something up. It's probably ratios. Everything else, I think he can produce as a high-end second catcher Right. And if he takes more walks, I think he could show improved stats across the board. His OBP was actually quite good in the minors. I think he could do that again. Maybe at least at least be average, right? Not killing you in those, especially when you consider that he's a catcher. But again, just think about we're going to learn about some position battles. We're going to talk more about them as the spring goes. Certain guys are going to get eligibility that they don't have yet. Right. Mm -hmm. I couldn't include them in my ranks at that spot, but they're going to get eligibility and it can make them sneaky because especially if it's like catcher, second base or third base, it makes them sneaky because nobody's thinking in the draft room. It's not being thought of quite as instantly as players who already have the eligibility. So mm -hmm. really something to keep in mind. Langoliers is a guy who I really wish I could have picked up in more, especially like draft and hold leagues, simply because he's going to get that catcher eligibility. Yeah, he doesn't have it yet, but he's going to. And that takes a lot of pressure off having to get a third, fourth, fifth catcher. Right. right. You need him in draft and hold because you need a billion of everything and you'll still run out. But Shay Langoliers, a guy who's going to get that eligibility, and there is no eligibility that adds more value than catcher. Mm -hmm. None. Right. And he's going to get it. He's a guy we know will get it. He doesn't have it in leagues that require 20 starts or 20 appearances. So. Definitely someone to have on your radar, especially if you missed out on the second catchers you were targeting. I think this he's the perfect scoop. Like, well, I missed the ones I wanted, but Langoliers is here, and a lot of people are ignoring him because he's util only to start the season in a lot of formats. Mm, great point. And like you said, very sneaky. But a great point. He's going to play uh, just about every day. You know, major projection models have him uh, playing 115, 122 games. And like you mentioned, the power is there. So you, you're looking at... 15 plus home runs batting average might be a bit of a drag because of uh, his uh, strikeout rate, but hopefully he can get that in check. Um, but yeah, good call on your part. So uh, a fun episode there, Scott. And uh, you know, we're going to go uh, to a weekly schedule now, right? Yeah, we definitely knew about that before yesterday. We yeah, were definitely yeah. <laughs> ready. We definitely didn't schedule this yesterday uh, for today. Because yeah. we we knew we I mean, I mean we didn't we, remember last podcast when we talked we know it's weekly we had no idea <laughs> no idea but we're ready we're ready yes. anyway and look yeah you know, the you know the start of uh, spring training games um, 
I am concerned about the World Baseball Classic and when we talk injuries, but, you know, uh, it is what it is, right? But I'm excited uh, about the World Baseball Classic because I like watching good baseball. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, the, <laughs> the Dominican team is in, in, insane, right? Woo. Their <laughs> their roster. Uh, but Glad they're uh, not a major league team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, could you imagine? So uh, great stuff as always. You could follow Scott Chu at If the Chu Fits. You've got an article debuting tomorrow, right, Scott? Or actually, our podcast uh, drops on Monday, and Scott's got a big article coming out on uh, on Monday with uh, some uh, thoughts about what to look for in spring training, right? Yeah. So Nick dropped his ultimate guide to uh, watching spring training on the pitcher side, right? He covers like everyone going for the rotation, quick blurb. I didn't cover everybody, of course, but I did go team by team. I talked about two to four hitters on each team with something specific I'm watching for from that player. Even if you can't watch the games, there's a lot of stuff where you just want to look at some box scores. There's things I'm looking for. Walk rate, strikeout rate. I mean, Christopher Morrell on that list. Say Suzuki actually on that list. If he can get in the games, I really wanted to see if he kept that strikeout rate down at the end of the season last year. His 30, his rolling 30 game strikeout rate was down to 20%, right? If that's the say Suzuki we are seeing in the spring, his upside goes way up for me because it just shows that he's continuing to improve against major league pitching. There's mm-hmm. lots of little nuggets like that in there, but what I'm looking for and how I think guys can win roles that maybe they don't currently have. So if you're curious about that at all, you can check it out. The article should drop uh, on Monday today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got a sneak preview and definitely worth reading. Really good stuff, as always, from Scott Chu. If the Chu fits, follow me at Joe Galina. And uh, as always, we're hoping that all of your fantasies become realities. We'll see you next week. <laughs>